Well, it's an interesting day to have uh, microphone problems. For some reason, I don't know if the website that I use updated something or all of a sudden, I don't know, the microphone, like I can't hear myself through the microphone, but I can hear the music. And it's recording, but it's like really messed up. Like, I don't know if this sounds the same as it has, you know, I've, I've tested it out and kind of gone, all right, I guess we're going to do it this way. But it's just, it's bizarre because I'm seven, like 12 inches away from the microphone. I'm all, yeah, almost a foot away from the microphone. But you can hear me. I guess the recording is fine. We're not broadcasting this. I mean, technically, I guess it's, it's a broadcast of some kind, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, hello. It's Still Sober with John Rabin. And um, this is episode 219. And it's not a significant number. It's an arbitrary number, of course. It's uh, j- That's just what episode we're on, is 219. And um, But what makes it important is that two days ago, I became officially, I'm officially 10 years sober. And like I've said that like, when it comes to sober time, that sober being sober is a mindset. That it's not uh, that arbitrary numbers doesn't matter. But you know, still, when you sit there with ten years and you really think about it, I mean, it's it's a nostalgia thing. We start flashing, reflecting back on who you were ten years ago. Um, it really makes you think. It really makes you kind of kind of sit there and go, wow. It's also significant because it's the same, I've been sober the same amount of time that I was out of control. Because it's it's almost, I think it's 10 years and one month around there that uh, from being arrested for my first DWI to my sobriety date. It's about, so it's roughly 10 years and an extra month, but yeah, but so, so if you consider, if that's, if that's like your, uh, if that's, if that's where we're going to gauge that, uh, if you get arrested for DWI, if that's when you started becoming, um, getting out of control, which isn't a really a good gauge because my first DWI arrest was kind of bullshit. It was more of a, um, I was speeding and, you know, and I, I, I was comparatively in my mind at the time, fine. Like I, it's almost like you want to tell the cop, are you arresting me now? This is weird. I've been drunk way worse than this when and drove home. Like it's 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 not a rational argument you can make. But uh, we'll get to there in a second. But yeah, that's that's basically what we're at right now. It's ten years, and um, and that's why it's uh, I think besides that it's a decade. It's just significant. It's like wow, fucking ten years, man. So I was wondering what I was going to do for this episode. I'm like, do I 
treat this as uh, what they would do in a meeting, maybe? Yeah. I don't know if you've been to an AA meeting when somebody gets a chip because my mom buys me a chip uh, on my sobriety date every year because um, it's on her birthday so we celebrate you know I give her a gift and then she gives me my uh, chip for that year and this year's uh, was nice man got a nice big X on it um, when you go to a meeting they uh, an AA meeting they and you pick up your chip somebody always says how did you do it and then you kind of talk about oh what I did to stay clean and sober for that long and so I didn't know if I was going to go that route or if I wanted to talk about you know do I share my story like I did in the first episode 219 episodes ago. I'm not really sure. I think I'll just talk. I'll just do that. I'll just I'll just tell you what's on my mind because it, you know, it's a very reflective time for me. Um, it's always been interesting because I've had a lot of people congratulate me on making 10 years sober and you know, some people told me they're proud of me and, and, and things like that. And it's, and it's weird. It's weird to me because a lot of people have problems with addiction because they're covering up trauma. You hear that a lot. It's like, well, maybe you're, maybe it's a trauma thing, maybe a rough childhood. Um, and you're just trying to mask the pain and not deal with it. But... Some people are become um, addicted to a substance because of actual physical pain. You hear about, you know, I hurt my back on the job, so then I got prescribed Oxycontin and used that, and I got hooked on that, and then they eventually become a heroin addict. You hear about that. I like to think more of a... My situation is this. It's uh, I had a great childhood. I'm not masking pain. I'm not masking physical pain. I am not in any kind of physical pain. And that's why it feels weird. Hey. It's the dog. Hello, dog. Hang on, let me pause for a second. See what <laughs> He's looking at me. I might need to take him out. Hang on. <laughs> All right, not to sidetrack, but yeah, dog needed to be taken out. Um, that's the difference between a dog and a cat. So if a dog is bother you, bothering you while you're trying to do something, uh, he needs something. My cat came in here to bug me. It's just because I'm giving my attention to a microphone and a laptop instead of to her. It's totally a selfish reason versus I need something to hey me me I think that's the difference between a dog and a cat anyway <laughs> yeah that that's my thing man is that I 
I like to drink and I like to do drugs because I'm masking boredom. Because it's exciting, it's fun. Um, I've said multiple times on this podcast, I'm not anti-drugs, I'm not anti-alcohol. I think that they um, are tools. They definitely have a purpose. And you can have a lot of fun on them. Until you don't. If you can, you know, I'm not one that uh, was big on moderation, clearly. And it might, there might be something to having a great, uh, you know, Christian upbringing, great, uh, nice childhood. Because um, I didn't, I didn't start drinking till I was 21. I did it the right way, society would say. Uh, <laughs> I started smoking when I was 20. I started drinking when I was 21. That's just what happened. And and it was one of those things that uh, it's, uh, yeah, had a lot of fun. Um, I think, if, I, if I'm if i thinking right, because I, uh, I was doing stand-up comedy, right? And I was going downtown Austin starting to do stand-up late 1996 and then, you know, and then in 97 and 98 and uh, I was going out all the time doing different mics and different little shows and uh, and then getting um, getting nice and fucked up all the time. Just, you know, rock star lifestyle without the rock star money, which is uh, financially irresponsible. Um, but... You know, it was just a good time, and I think that I was starting to progress. If I remember right, as as you know, get, getting out of control several nights, but uh, somewhere along the line, I started dating a girl in ninety and beginning in nineteen ninety eight. You know, when I when I was, I think that if if I hadn't, I probably would have progressed a little bit more. Probably would have got, gotten a DWI at some point. Probably would have gotten a couple of PIRS, something to that to that effect. But I started dating someone who I ended up marrying six months after I started dating her. Uh, my first marriage. I think I married in '98. And I think that slowed slowed it down. That like slowed down the progression of getting out of control because I suddenly the structure of being married and all this stuff. And it's like, well, I can't just go out and hang out with my friends all the time. I still still went out, like you know, used doing comedy as an excuse to go out, right? And that kept going. And I think I was kept in check okay for for about four years and then but slowly started doing what I wanted to you know having a little bit too much fun and that's when I got got my I got two DWIs in two months in 2002 and also me and my first wife split it was all kind of around that same time so hell of a 
couple month period. Well, because that's the whole thing. So like the first DWI, and then marital issues, and then I wasn't. You know, by that time I wasn't uh, very happy, and in our marriage which is probably what led to the first DWI to be honest um, and then we split and then all of a sudden I was unleashed and started having a really good time and that's how I got the second DWI having too much fun and then because of that eventually I got wrangled where I you know get a, get a breathalyzer on the car and I started having to bus places or park my car and stay at you know at somebody's house that lived near downtown to go downtown, doing stuff like that. And that first time, you know, I, I ended up um, getting on probation for two years. And having probation was kind of like having a leash because it was kind of a somebody's paying attention to me you know keeping me under under their thumb for a little bit or yeah knowing I can't go full balls out crazy because I'm on probation right so it's like so you so you so for those two two um excuse me two years like I still you know had a good time but I wasn't out of my mind I wasn't going crazy and I think it was being on probation that time I think it kind of kept me in check you know a few crazy nights here and there but kind of kept in check during that time period then I get off probation and then here we go I'm back out but uh, I feel like I'm in control I know I'm not uh, you know I'm not going to I'm not going to drive drunk now. I've, I've got everything going. I know what I'm doing. Um, at this point, I am living on uh, closer to downtown where the bars are. I've got an apartment that's a block away from the bus stop, and I can take the bus all the way downtown. So I start doing that a lot. So, you know, not having to uh, worry about getting in trouble I feel and that lasts for a little bit and then it doesn't you know at some point I don't remember when at some point I started going ah I can drive here and there you know and uh, I would uh, I would if I had a crazy night I would then drive to work instead of going home so that, and I would pass out on that. We had couches up at my job. I worked for a video game company. So I would just drive up there because if I passed out there, I knew I'd be able to wake up and make it to my cubicle on time. That was the idea. It seemed normal to me. That seemed like, no, oh, that seems, this seems right, right? No, that's, uh, that's, um, and uh, one of the times that I drove to go to go to work, it was on the Loop uh, Loop 360 in Austin. You, if you want to Google Maps, that it's this big uh, it's this big loop, and I missed the 
light and the turn to go into my work because I was drunk and because I was nodding off and I kept going. And there's a big bridge on 360. And right before the big bridge, I just nodded off and drove right off the edge of the, uh, of the road and rolled my truck three times. Being drunk that I was, um, I was fine. And because Travis County Sheriff's found me instead of the uh, instead of APD, um, and it was a single car accident, so the only person that was injured was me. They took me to the hospital just to check me out, and I didn't get uh, didn't get in trouble, didn't get like any kind of alcohol test because Travis County Sheriff's don't want to do any more work than they have to. Um, and because I had insurance, Progressive Insurance bought me a car. So thank you, uh, Progressive, for being enablers. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that was a thing. It was a single car accident. It was not, you know, it was just an accident. It wasn't, uh, I didn't cause any damage to anybody else. It was covered under my insurance. So I got a car and... Uh, and that kind of slowed me down a little bit. I'm like, all right, I should watch out, right? Let me also bring up the fact that in this time frame, I don't remember, by the way, I'm terrible at, at the time frame now because my, my memory has gone to shit. And I don't know if it's the drugs, if it's the alcohol, if it's the old age. I have no idea. But I can tell you that during this time frame of getting a car, of towing my truck, getting a car, it's like a, it's like a three-year time frame between um, getting off of probation the first time, and then getting my third DWI, which happens in 2008. So there's this uh, there's this time frame in there that I'm, you know, just I got arrested for uh, public intoxication three times during that time, which. Sounds bad, but really a public intoxication arrest is kind of like, uh, it's like getting a speeding ticket. It's really not a, a thing. It, as long as you don't get repeated arrests during this like time frame, it's like a 90 day or I don't remember what it is. It's a, there's a, there's a time frame that if you get another public intoxication, another PI within the time that you got the, this other PI, then it, then it like amplifies or something. I remember reading it and figuring out and I, and I somehow seemed to only, to get arrested, uh, spaced out to, uh, to where not a whole lot, you know, very little consequences. You just, you know, cause you, cause PI, they just kind of hold you there and then you don't actually go to any kind of jail cell. You just kind of drunk tank it, sit there, and then they release you just in time for you to um, get home and go to work. It's, you know, and then you just feel like shit at, at work. It's, it's you know, it's like, well, that's going to cost me. And then somewhere around 2008, the uh, girl I was dating and I started doing... Um, prescription drugs started experimenting with different kinds of uh, kinds of stuff like that and ultimately heroin but I thought 
I actually thought, oh, this could go bad, but it seems, but it was dangerous. It seemed fun. And, um, you know, the PI, and then when I got arrested for DWI, it was for alcohol. It was, you know, we were only dabbling in heroin. I wasn't doing heroin every day, but I got that third DWI and that was a bad, that was a bad deal. Cause that's a, that's a felony. So I got felony probation for that. And, um, that was, you know, get that breathalyzer on the car again. And it was just kind of like, ah, shit. So, but the, but the thing about it is, is that what, at some point I, cause I was drinking and then I, the, the, the heroin was starting to ramp up and I OD'd a couple of times and it was just, you know, and, and basically, if you lose consciousness, if you pass out, you know, it, that's that's basically what an OD is. Anything like that, any time it, it, you, yeah, if, it, if the drug causes you to pass out, that's, that's an OD. So I've OD'd several times, but like after a few times, I've realized you, you shouldn't be drinking and also doing heroin. Those are two different depressants. That's uh, that's bad. You shouldn't do heroin at all. Clearly, that goes it goes without saying. But also, I'm like, well, I can't drink and do drugs. Now, I can't do heroin and alcohol here. Um, I keep dying. So let's stop that. So the so I actually quit drinking. Like, just a uh, yeah. I guess I'll only do this. <laughs> it saves more money. I save more money. I can buy more heroin with it. Uh, and I so and I did that for because the other thing was that I was sitting there on felony probation, thinking to myself, "Well, alcohol is clearly the the thing causing me all these problems. Heroin makes me feel good." And. And I, do, I would do this rotation where, because heroin gets out of your system in 72 hours for when they drug test you. But Travis County never drug tested me, except for like once a year. They actually, they, but they tested me for breathalyzer all the time because, you know, I'm a felony DWI guy, but I paid them on time all the time. Um, so that's kind of the deal when you're on probation if you're white and you pay them early or on time they don't give a shit they're perfectly cool with you they're like ah oh, you seem to be doing well ah thank you i hide my problems expertly so that's that's the craziest thing about my being a heroin addict is the entire time I was a heroin addict, I was on felony DWI probation. And it got so bad at the, to, at the end there that while I'm on probation, what I would have to do is I would basically, uh, right before my appointment, I would go through withdrawals for three days before my, my appointment which I would kind of have to do anyway because I'd run out of money because that's what happens at some point. At some point, you get to the level when you're playing around with it and when you're a recreational user, you do it when you can afford it. And it's just like it's not... But then when it is everything that you do, 
then you find yourself getting high for you know for a few days then you run out of money then you got to wait till you get paid again so you got to go through withdrawals so i was going through withdrawals for a couple of days like every two weeks that's just the way it was um although my girlfriend at the time she was she got paid our we we would go through withdrawals like a couple of days every week because we staggered like I would get paid then she would get paid then I would get paid then she would get paid we were like oh lucky (laughs) yay yay us right we are so smart and uh and then shoplift groceries um she would uh, because she looked like, you know, we both would at one point, but I think it was getting to the point where I looked. I began, you know, I went from looking normal to heroin chic to heroin not so chic to junkie. Like at some point, it's like, yeah, you look like you're stealing. You shouldn't uh, shoplift groceries anymore. I'll do that. And that's how, how it went for a while until it didn't go for a while until it just you know until my job was affected because I was nodding off and it kept getting me into trouble um and so once you lose your employment um you know and your girlfriend leaves you and then you lose your employment then you can't pay for your for your apartment so you lose the apartment and then, uh, yeah, that's this chain of events. It's like heroin never caused me problems until it caused me all the problems. And end up in the hospital because, uh, which is really uh, ironic because I, I talked mad shit about how unrealistic to me uh, Requiem for a Dream was. And I'm like, who keeps shooting in the same infected armhole over and over? You can't, you can't switch. You're not ambidextrous. You can't pick. A, you can't find a different vein. The fuck is your problem, Jared Leto? That's that was my uh, thought process. And then I got cellulitis from um, from reusing my needles. So I ended up in the hospital for two weeks. They had to cut the infection out and stuff. Like I was. Uh, uh, I, was, I was, what, like, they said a couple hours away from full-blown staph infection and just, like, it was really bad. And uh, um, almost lost my arm, which would have, you know, which, like I said, I found ironic because I just, in my head, was always talking about, talking shit about Requiem. Um, but I didn't. And it's like, and that's when you hit rock bottom and went to rehab? No, I continued for a while until I finally had to go back um, after scrounging around and trying to, to make it through and yeah, part-time jobs and um, staying at a, uh, on the couch of a friend for way too long. And then ultimately finding another place to rent from another person that I knew until I couldn't pay that anymore and then I finally had to call my dad and have him come get me and then I stayed at my dad's house uh, in Seguin 
and that happened and that you know and I stayed sober for that month that I stayed at his house trying to rebuild everything until I didn't until I borrowed his truck after he fell asleep after they went to sleep I borrowed his truck took it to Austin bought drugs came back and OD'd and my dad just so happened to I had to work the next morning I was working at a coffee shop and I had a shift at 8 30 and I usually walked to work or rode my skateboard to work and he thought hey I'll go you know out of out of the ordinary he was coaching you know he had was up at school he thought ah I'll give John a ride and he found me probably saved my life and it was at that point that they told me that I needed to get help or I wouldn't be allowed back at the house and that that's pretty much the ultimatum that was the one that made me go all right I've let this go on far enough and I was able to get into rehab there was a rehab in San Antonio that I could um, that I got a grant for and I don't think the grant program is still still available and I've I've talked about that on this podcast about how um, had that grant program not been available I would have been trying to 12 step recover from ODing and I don't know how that would have worked. I don't think it would have. I've been going to, to AA and NA meetings on and off. I've gone to hundreds of meetings while on probation because that was a requirement of probation at the time. I don't think they do that anymore. I don't know if they still do. But the requirement was you had to go to these meetings and they had to sign a card. And I got to the point where I was just having fellow comedians sign my AA card and stuff like that. So I ended up going to rehab and that took care of the heroin thing. But I was living in San Antonio and working as a dishwasher, which was very Zen-like and I loved uh, washing dishes. But uh, not a lot to do in San Antonio and everyone drinks. And I wasn't driving. I wasn't doing drugs anymore. So I thought, I can't get in trouble if I'm just drinking. I'm not driving. Um, and ultimately, I had some crazy uh, self-destructive nights, but didn't get into any trouble. I got in trouble when I went to my 20-year high school reunion. This is 2012. And I got arrested in my hometown, my 20-year high school reunion which is nuts. It's a pretty good story. Um, I don't have time for this. I think I, I went into it. Maybe I'll tell it again at another point. But it was but, but it was because of that that I was like, man, you know, I got in trouble and then like a, a couple weeks later I got chewed out by a good friend of mine because she saw that I was out of control and that I was a, being an asshole. And then shortly after that, and I realized at that point, I'm like, you know what? There's too many things going on here. And I finally was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's time. And I decided to quit drinking and 
I, I shit you not, a week after I decided to uh, to quit drinking, I find out that yeah, you you're on felony probation and you got arrested for public intoxication. When you get arrested while you're on probation, they revoke your probation. So I had a really cool um, probation officer in San Antonio, this uh, Buddhist uh, bicycle riding hippie woman, which is weird because San Antonio is not uh, the most bike friendly place. And she told me about it. And she said, they're going to, you know, you should contact Travis County and get arrested up there. Don't get arrested in Bear County. Don't go to County Lockup in San Antonio. Go to the County Lockup in Austin. They are going to come get you. So you should call up there, make an appointment, and they'll arrest you there, but at least you'll get processed there. And you'll get processed on your own terms. So I made up an appointment and I did. I took you know, got all my affairs in order and got all put, planned out and got my mom, you know, my mom uh, told me she would drive me from San Antonio to Austin to go to my probation appointment that I was uh, most definitely going to get arrested at. I didn't realize at the time when I had made the appointment that I had done it on September 12th, 2012, September 12th, which is her birthday. Um... I will say, though, her giving me a ride from San Antonio to Austin on her birthday, we had an incredible visit in the car and talked about stuff. And it was uh, probably the longest conversation I had had with my mom in, in, in a while. And um, I told her, because I, I had told her that I had quit drinking a couple of weeks before completely and I said but I was going to make today September 12th at that, that day I said today I'm going to make today my sobriety date so that every one of your birthdays moving forward will also be a celebration of you know my gift to you will be that I'm clean and sober another year And um, so, yeah, so that was what, uh, and then we celebrated that on Monday night recently. So, yeah, okay, let me, just to wrap it up. So I go to probate, so I go to probation meeting. Sure enough, they arrest me, which the, uh, the Travis County Sheriff's came in. And normally they, they don't tell people that they're going to arrest you. I had a really cool uh, probation officer in San Antonio was like, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but she's like, I'm totally going to tell you this. They're totally going to arrest you, so you should prepare. They don't like to tell people that because people won't show up for their meeting if they know they're going to get arrested. Um, I think it's kind of shitty because it's like, well, I can't plan things out, you know. Anyway, so normally they arrest people. They don't know they're getting arrested. I totally knew. So when the uh, so I'm sitting there meeting with this uh, shitty probation officer who's kind of a She's not great. I don't. I didn't like her. Um, and she's all pretending to have a meeting, to have a an appointment with me. And I'm like looking at her, watching her kind of go through the motions. She doesn't know that I know this is bullshit, but I'm watching her bullshit me, and it's annoying. And then the Travis County Sheriff's come in and went. Finally, I almost had a meeting here, <laughs> and they arrested me. 
and then took me and I uh, spent a month in county and then um, while waiting there and then finally resolving how I was going to get out was to do this the SMART program which was, uh, it was like a rehab light but run by the uh, by Travis County uh, county run rehab is basically hey you go to these classes but mainly you just watch TV for eight hours um, like in your little dormitory closet that you're staying in with your basic cable TV which is worse than jail um, having to watch uh, like uh, Pawn Stars and fucking TV bullshit like reruns like it cured me of TV I swear to God um, but uh, I basically spent six months locked up and that was uh, sort of the reinforcement that I needed because I knew that um, AA wasn't working I thought I was too smart for it I mean, once you think you're too smart for it it stops working for you because you think you're you know because you, you're like, oh, I've, I I get this thing. And whether you do or not doesn't matter. It's now you don't have any faith in the program. You're not working it. It's an issue. So I had to figure out my own thing. So I worked out my own program to work on my life based on principles from um, that I kind of ripped off from uh, Buddhism and also the Four Agreements. Four Agreements was easy. Uh, it's not easy, but there's it's easy to remember since there were only four things to follow. So I kind of based that as my as my go-to, and then I just you know once I once I got out, I had to finish up my probation, go to all my classes. You know, I stayed in a sober house, went to work, washed dishes, came back. Like I just focused on that, and then just slowly kept going. Then I finally got off of probation. Then I got out of the sober house. You know, got my own place. Kept working. You know, got got raises at work. Got, you know, all kinds of things. Saved money. Uh, Just kept progressing slowly and slowly. It's just one step in front of the other. Just over and over. And here I am. Ten years sober. I have a driver's license back. I've got a car. We've got a scooter. I'm married. We have a nice life. I've got a nice job. And it just, this is how it, it, it goes. Everything, what do you, so how did I do it? I had to. I got to a point where I'm like, when I was too smart for everybody, when I knew what I was doing the whole time, because that's how I felt, I know what I'm doing. I can keep I can keep self-destructing because I'm fine. Um, no, it's all right. But you finally get to a point where you're like, okay, I need to stop. When even past the delusion, even past the whole, ah, I got this. Once you get to a point when, oh, I don't got this now, it's time to stop doing things. I mean, let me let me work on myself. John, you're going to go to jail. Shit, I just, but I just said, don't I get a pat on the back? I, no, you fucked up. I did fuck up. So you get the six months of reinforcement where you can't fuck up because you're in jail. You are in custody of 
Travis County. You can't get in trouble. So let's reinforce what you're already working on. So that set the that set the um, the foundation. So if you're asking me how I did it, I got arrested eight times. Then got locked up for six months. You want to do it like me? You can either try 12-step or if you want to do it like me, uh, make a commitment to being sober, work on a program, then go to jail for six months. Watch really bad TV and do like group therapy sessions uh, with other people who don't want to be there because you're all in jail. Uh, and then get out of there, go straight to a sober house. Now you're under their rules, as well as being finishing up your probation. You don't have a breathalyzer on your car because you don't have a car, but now you're carrying around a breathalyzer with you. Do that for six months. That keeps you in check for six more months. So now I've got uh, Travis County keeping me in check for a full year. And finally, that's all gone. Now nobody's keeping me in check. But I've been sober for over a year now at this point, and then it's that's that's how I kept going. I was already now it got to a point I, I swear somewhere around 2014 into almost 2015. It got to a point where it would almost be more of a problem. Like it would it would take more effort to go relapse on drugs. That's why I never went back to it. Spent long enough away that I didn't have any numbers. I don't have any connections. All my, all my dealers, I don't know their new numbers or they're in jail or they're dead, right? So there's no way, it, there's no easy way to get back into it even if I was to succumb to the temptation. And drinking, I didn't want to drink anymore because I had drunk myself out. I was done. It's like you get to a point it's easy to quit drinking when you drink yourself out. That's not the, that's the easy part. The hard part is surviving long enough to get to the point where you're like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. Ugh. No, thank you. So that was, that was kind of it. Just didn't want it anymore. And that's, that's where I'm at. I like where I'm at. I appreciate you letting me, uh, thanks you for coming to this meeting. <laughs> yeah, it's about the length of a meeting. That's the, the, we just had a little meeting there. Appreciate it. Stillsoberpod at gmail.com for any questions or comments that are positive to neutral. Um, and we'll get back to just normal whatever. Um, less sentiment next week, right? That's what we'll see. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Later. Oh